Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Kate Bailey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle and special guest Peter Doherty, Chief Investment Officer at Tideway Asset Management. Since the UK's vote to leave the European Union, money has been flowing out of smaller companies' funds for reasons including Brexit fears and a move into large international businesses which are perceived as less vulnerable. But because of this, the prices of smaller companies and the funds which invest in them have been pushed down, and maybe too far down because the prospects for this end of the market may not be as bad as they seem. Kate, you've been looking at this. Why is the outlook not all doom and gloom for smaller companies in 2017? Well, I guess the thing here is um, we're talking about smaller companies' funds and the the fact is that you know there are a lot of smaller companies out there. The universe is large, and this is a universe which has been incredibly oversold or heavily sold, and maybe oversold, which means that there might be some actual good opportunities in there. Um, I mean, the the typical fear with smaller companies is that they're very exposed to the UK economy, and so anyone worried about Brexit is kind of dumping them, thinking that any issue with the UK economy will be felt by the smaller companies, which tend to be more domestically facing. But in fact, you've got a ton of smaller companies in the universe which um, have a lot of overseas earnings or which are quite kind of defensively positioned and can maintain earnings growth, even if the macro climate looks a bit bleak. So I think the, the thing is that this is a sector that's been kind of blanket oversold, when in fact there are some companies in there which are resilient and which are quite exciting. Okay, now other than these um, um, short-term reasons, are there any other reasons as to why UK smaller companies generally might be um, a good option in your portfolio? Well, particularly at the moment, they're they're very cheap. Um, they're at very low valuations just based on that sentiment, which you know some could see as a good reason to kind of get involved. And also that could be driving M and A in the year ahead. So you might see some portfolios benefiting from from M and A just with you know slightly larger companies buying up some of these, I guess, bargain smaller ones. Okay. Now, if you are thinking of um, dipping your toe in the water, as it were, what funds might be good options for investors wanting exposure to UK smaller companies? Um, So some are Lion Trust Special Situations, um, and that's a fund run by Anthony Cross and Julian Foch. And they look for companies with these durable economic advantages. So these are companies that can kind of keep growing revenue, um, keep growing earnings, regardless of what happens in the wider climate. So that's quite an interesting one. There's also Wood Street Microcap Investment Fund. And that's obviously very small companies. um, And it's those listed on the AIM market. Um, Marlborough Special Situations is another one. And that follows a speculative policy on investing in smaller companies, new issues, and um, companies which could have a turnaround, so companies with good recovery prospects. So there's quite kind of a wide range of things that you can look for, depending on the kind of smaller company you want to exposure to. Okay. Um, Peter, um, what do you think the prospects are for UK smaller companies' funds in 2017? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's um, uh, there's quite a high valuation if you look at the uh, the more defensive sectors. So I think the macro story is well understood, that you have... Uh, things priced in sterling, created in sterling, those uh, those uh, exports, if they're making them, will look very cheap. So there is a resilient story in there. But if you look at the FTSE 250, uh, admittedly on a backward-looking basis, um, it's got a trailing PE of around 24, which is uh, is very high by 
uh, by historic standards, although uh, that will come down uh, somewhat next year as those impacts of uh, as overseas earnings will come in. There is a supporting 3% yield, though, so that is in its favor. I think, as was said earlier, though, if you head down into smaller caps uh, below some of the larger FTSE 250 names, which, after all, are still in the you know £1 billion plus market cap area, then there, then there will be some bargains. Um, I think it's sideways. We, we've had a couple of uh, successful investments in that space. Uh, we like the uh, Unicorn, U- Unicorn UK Income mm. Fund. Um, that's uh, it's about £650 million. Pounds. It's got a yield of over 3%. But importantly, if you, if you talk through the, the names with the managers, um, most of those dividends are covered uh, multiple times and so are very sustainable. You know, there's been that story about the FTSE 100 where uh, companies like Vodafone and Shell that have been sort of stalwarts of the income market, they've been borrowing in recent years to fund those dividends and so are not sustainable. So we prefer uh, sustainable dividends. Um, another fund we like is Schroeder's UK small co- uh, Smaller Companies Fund. That's got a strong track record. Uh, they're compounded over 18% per annum over the past five years. Although I would say the whole sector is vulnerable in the event of a sell-off. And when the Schroeder's Fund had a 40% drawdown in 2008, and that does highlight the volatility in the sector. Um, another feature about some of the funds is the relatively high cost. And so if you simply want uh, broad market exposure, there are a couple of trackers available. Uh, I mean, the Vanguard FTSE 250 tracker has a remarkably low TER of only 0.1%. That really is very low. So, yeah. so I think if you, if you want to pay for active management, then that's fine. Otherwise, there are some... Uh, ETF um, alternatives. Okay, now we've been focusing very much on, you know, how they're cheap and, you know, why they might be a good bet next year. But, um, you know, are there any reasons as to why UK smaller companies' funds are a good long-term option for investors to keep in their portfolios? Yeah, I think you have uh, diversifiers, uh, you know, some of the sort of uh, disruptive-type businesses. There could be an insurance company with a new model, um, some manufacturing businesses. And if you if you get a couple of um, good winners in those uh, in those portfolios, then they can really add to your performance. Okay. So some um, good reasons there, but um, it's never one-sided. So, um, Kate, um, why should investors maybe be cautious about smaller companies' funds? Um, well, I guess it's, it's some of the reasons that, um, that Peter's already touched on there, but uh, smaller companies are less liquid, or the holdings in these funds are less liquid. Um, so this can be a very volatile sector. Um, and they also do tend to be hurt more by kind of bad news flow than larger companies. Again, meaning that the share prices can, can really go up and down a lot. And also, I mean, the reason that everyone's selling them this kind of fear over um, Brexit and, and over the UK economy, you know, those those are kind of valid problems, particularly for any company which, which might be kind of importing and have its whole cost base um, in the UK or that does not have that favourable kind of trade balance or um, currency dynamic, which is experienced by all those UK large caps at the moment. Um, I mean, we haven't even triggered Article 50 yet, so, you know, who knows quite what that might mean for these companies, and they could be subject to a big sell-off regardless of of whether some might be resilient underneath that. So it's a risky sector, and it is volatile, um, but there are opportunities within it. Mm. Um, Peter, do do you have any other reservations about smaller companies' funds? Yeah, I think there's some of those points are good. I think the uh, if, you, if you're going to own these things, they should be bought on a long-term basis. Um, there will be some winning companies. They will compound nicely. 
Um, I think that, but they, you are going to receive some more volatility. I mean, the, these funds can go down and did go down uh, over 40% in the financial crisis. If you can weather that, then uh, you'll, you'll be in pretty good shape over the long term. Okay, thank you, Peter and Kate. Some really interesting points. Now, an area which has had an eventful 2016 is emerging markets, which have gone from a dizzying valley at the start of the year to dramatic falls following the election of Donald Trump as US president. But despite the gyrations, some areas have prospered. Kate, you've been recently speaking to Omar Negul, manager of the IC Top 100 Fund, JP Morgan Global Emerging Markets Income Trust. What areas of emerging markets did he say have done well and what's been driving them? Um, well, so we had it was an interesting year, 2016, for emerging markets because we had this kind of very strong rally and then, and then we had a bit of a dip post-Trump because of fears around that. But in, in this rally, um, we basically had a recovery story and a big sentiment shift. Um, before 2016, or kind of in the five years previous, three to five years previous, Everyone had kind of sold out of emerging markets. Um, valuations were looking really low. Everyone was was very negative on them. And then there was this big reversal um, at the start of the year, partly due to a hunt for yield, because um, obviously they're high yielding. Um, but there were other factors too. Um, there was big political change happening across Latin America. And in fact, Brazil, which um, he highlighted as one of the best performing markets, at one point up close to 80% in 2016. Um, so that was a market which was kind of fueled by um, things like the recovery in commodities, but but certainly this political shift after the impeachment of um, Dilma Rousseff, and similar things were happening in other kind of Latin American countries. So it was really those where some of the main kind of upsides were felt. Um, the currency was also the thing that really influenced a lot of emerging markets. Something you had South Africa doing quite well on that basis. There were quite a few where, in fact, this was not a reversal due to fundamentals, but more due to kind of a massive sentiment shift and currency dynamics. Okay, so um, going forward, um, what areas of emerging markets look like they're in a good position and um, what are the drivers? Um, Well, going forwards, we would expect, or he was expecting, um, that the second leg of this kind of recovery will have to be driven by more structural growth. So we will have to be seeing some kind of earnings growth and countries which are resilient to maybe some of the shocks or sentiment shocks, you know, surrounding Trump. Um, Taiwan is a region which he really likes, says it has very good earnings growth and companies which are kind of delivering very good sustainable um, revenue increases and also increasing dividend payouts. Um, so that that was kind of his big, big bet, I guess. Um, also has quite a high weighting to South Africa. Okay. Now, the fund that Omar runs, JP Morgan Global Emerging Markets Income Trust, as the name implies, has a specialist focus, which is income. Now, in emerging markets, how easy is it to find income-paying stocks? Well, so he said um, it's surprisingly not that difficult. You, you do think of it as a region which, you know, historically has not paid out much. Uh, but he said that there's an average of around 35% dividend payout across the asset class. And he can find about 1,200 companies with yields of over 2%. So that's quite a good kind mm. of selection to pick from, considering that he has 70 holdings in the fund. So he's got quite a big universe there. Um, and the fund's underlying yield has um, a yield of close to 5%. Okay, so um, yeah, it's actually quite wide. So within this um, rather broad universe, um, what sort of areas and sectors um, offer particularly good income opportunities? 
Um, so I mentioned there Taiwan, and that that is the one that he's kind of really positive on. It's the largest market weighting in the trust. Um, so he says the the good thing about it is there are a lot of companies there with very high return on capital, generating positive free cash flow and sustainable dividend policies, and that's particularly in the technology space, also telecoms and consumer sectors. So he highlighted stock like Vanguard International Semiconductor, a technology stock. Um, it's a good franchise and it's continued to generate a high return on capital. Also, the products seem to mean a sustainable level of cash flow being produced. Um, he also talked about financials and the fund has quite high weighting to financials, which you might think looks like quite high risk. But these tend to be more kind of, I guess, alternative financials. He particularly likes um, stock exchanges. Um, and he says that stock exchanges across emerging markets tend to be very strong franchises. They have good market share and also earn high return on capital without needing much leverage. So that means that they produce a high level of cash flow and they tend to pay that out as dividend shareholders, which is also obviously essential for a fund like this. OK. Now, it all sounds very attractive, but um, as I said before, things are never one-sided. So um, what risks do you have to factor in if uh, you're investing in emerging markets for income or otherwise? Well, I guess the, the main one of the main risks, at least, is currency. I mean, currency dynamics are really the thing which shot a lot of these markets upwards in 2016. And equally, they can drag them down very quickly. So that's something to be aware of. Um, Trump will also mean something for emerging markets. We don't know quite what, potentially. <laughs> but obviously any protectionist, highly protectionist trade policies will will hurt countries like Mexico if, if that comes to pass. But we'll wait and see what happens there. And the dollar is, is a big issue for emerging markets. A stronger dollar makes it harder for emerging markets to perform. It's an issue for any dollar-denominated debt held by emerging markets, though admittedly that has been reducing. Um, well, I mean, we did think the dollar was at the end of its rally rather than the beginning, but it clearly has a bit of room left to go as it has, has been strengthening kind of recently. So emerging markets are kind of subject to these um, exogenous factors, I guess. Mm. Um, Peter, do you think emerging markets are a good area to invest in at the moment, despite all these risks? Yes, I think uh, it's uh, it's almost the flip side of some of the uh, developed markets. So in emerging markets, look, there, there are many... Uh, political and, and macro risks uh, that, are, that are well known. If you look at South Africa, Turkey, Venezuela, South Korea, you can list those issues. There are now uh, you know, some, some debt problems around some of the property companies in China. You've got rising U.S. interest rates. There's, there's a bunch of things, as, as Kate said, around trade. But the question you have to, ask, have to ask yourself is, is that all priced in? So if you look at the, uh, again, come back to the valuations, the, the PE of the MSCI Emerging Market Global Index is only around 14 that's probably at or a little bit cheap to long-term average. So you're not really exposing yourself to a lot of valuation risk. And in those large indices, you get some phenomenal businesses like uh, Samsung, Alibaba, China Mobile. So that's, um, uh, that, that's quite a, a positive side. Um, my own uh, view, and this is um, a little bit different, is that income is not really the place uh, in equity in emerging markets is not the best uh, Best vehicle. I think emerging market corporate debt is a very mm. attractive alternative. There are some very strong managers out there. So, for example, Ashmore. I mean, there's two ways you can do this. One is you can actually buy Ashmore shares themselves. So, if emerging markets recover, Ashmore uh, has a really terrific long-term track record and a great investment process. Um, and that equity itself will reverse. It has had a very tough time. But then you can also go into some of their funds 
For example, they have a, a global uh, EM corporate bond fund, and that yields about 5.5%. Uh, isn't particularly long duration, uh, and does have a very good track record of moderate volatility. Um, if you want even more stability, although something hasn't done quite as well in the last couple of years, is the Ashmore EM Total Return Fund, which is more, more of a mix of sovereigns and corporates. Um, but I think, that, you know, from the equity perspective, you, you're not paying up uh, to, to high valuations. Um, and as Kate said, if you, if you pick the right manager, you can find an income angle for, from equities. My own view would be to take a capital growth view from equities and then pick the income from, uh, from corporate bond managers. Okay. Are, are there any emerging market equity funds that you like then? Um, I, I think, um, uh, as, as Kate said, you, know, you look at some of the investment trusts, there is an attractive. And again, Ashmore has a, has a couple of, um, uh, of global EM funds that have done, that have done well in the last couple of years. Okay. Um, thank you, Kate and Peter. And you can listen to Kate's interview with Ulmer Negil, manager of J.P. Morgan Global Emerging Markets Income Trust, on the website www.investorschronicle.co.uk. Alliance Trust is one of the largest and oldest investment trusts listed on the London Stock Exchange. And in recent years, it has also been one of the highest profile investment trusts because of relentless pressure from activist investors. This has resulted in changes, including a wide-ranging overhaul of its board and management, which saw the departure of Chief Executive Catherine Garrett-Cox, and further back, the introduction of regular share buybacks, something the Trust never used to do. Now its relatively new board has proposed outsourcing its management to around eight external managers, similar to the way that global sector peer Witten Investment Trust is run. Um, Alliance um, Trust Board has also already agreed the sale of its investment subsidiary, Alliance Trust Investments. Peter, what do you make of the proposed changes to Alliance Trust, and is a manager of manager structure a good way to run a fund? Very, uh, very good question. There's lots of uh, lots of layers in there, uh, including uh, another layer of management. So, I, you know, I I must say I do struggle uh, with the manager of managers concept. Um, it is another layer of management. I don't think that a group of people that are not, that haven't done as well at actually picking investments are going to do any better at picking managers. I mean, it is very challenging to pick managers who are consistently uh, capable of outperforming their respective benchmarks, and many of those managers are already closed to new investments. So uh, I, I've, I've seen the... Um, the press release, I looked at the video on the website from the chairman of Alliance Trust. I, I've got to say I'm not convinced. I think it's a, uh, it's a very challenging model, um, and I think there's a layer in there that, uh, that I'm, I'm not sure what exactly the benefit is, to be honest. Okay, so presumably do you think it, um, it's not going to help improve performance? Because obviously performance I mean, is not great at the moment, so I think some would argue it couldn't get much worse. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think at the end of the day, I think that the managers they pick are going to be buying, you know, a number of different investments. I think there are there are simpler ways to get exposure to those underlying managers for investors. Um, and uh, I think if you if you if you look through the portfolio, I, I imagine it's not going to be enormously complicated to create that portfolio for yourself, although you'd be on a on a slightly leg basis. I just I just uh, I struggle with the idea that uh, you're really going to be picking uh, eight great managers mm. and then go to big individual names. And, it would be and fair Apple. to add that um, retail investors or private investors like Reed Investors Chronicle 
couldn't actually access those managers because of a lot of them are foreign managers and even institutional funds that you know ordinary people can't buy. That that is a fair point. Um, I, I would just like to see a bit more um, historic data. I'd love to see you know, even um, you know we could all make things up from back testing. Was the other but I'd love mm. to see a sort of back tested view of that. You know what what uh, what have been the the top. Um, Let's say I think the, the the idea is that eight managers will pick twenty to thirty stocks each. Yeah. Well, let, let's look at what those twenty to thirty have been over the past five years. How they've done as a group. What's the correlation between the managers? I mean, I, I, don't, I wasn't quite sure how um, how the managers were picked or how the portfolio was picked. So you don't end up with sort of uh, double bets or triple bets on the same sector or same name. You know, what if, what if three of the managers love UK banks? Mm. You know, how are those things controlled? So I just love to know a bit more about the process, about how that actually is implemented and then uh, and then balanced out. Um, given the fact that many investment trusts, anyway, are, are pretty pretty heavily diversified already. So. Okay. Um, now, um, since the um, proposals were announced on the fifteenth of December, Alliance Trust share price has increased from about five ninety six p two this morning about 6.37p and its discount to net asset value has come in from about 8% to less than 5%, which is a lot tighter, let's say, than it used to be. Um, as there's a lot of uncertainty and all those concerns that you've raised, should long-suffering shareholders take their money and run or wait and see if things really can get better? Well, I think if you see visibility on the portfolio about what you're actually getting and what the costs are, then you can make an informed judgment. If you look at um, uh, some trusts have done very well with, with uh, so we, you know, we use, for example, we use Scottish Mortgage, which is mm. run by Bailey Gifford. Now, that obviously is a quite a different animal. It had, again, keeping one eye on the downside, it had large drawdowns in 2008 and 2011, but that is uh, exposed to super high-quality businesses like Amazon, Google, Tesla, Facebook. It, it is a, a tech-heavy uh, US-centric fund. But it's, had over, it's made over 30% this year, and there's still quite a lot of uh, potential upside in some of those high-growth names. But at least with that, you, you, know, you know what you're getting. Now, I think once, you, once uh, Alliance Trust goes through the process and the portfolios are identified, um, looking maybe may a fabulous portfolio and something worth holding. So I think, I think you know, wait, wait and see. But I think I'd, I'd be asking for an extra level of um, delivery given the extra level of management. I mean, that's, that's, why, that's why I think they may struggle to, uh, to achieve. Okay, now you mentioned um, Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust as a possible alternative, and that does have an excellent long-term track record, albeit a rather volatile one. Are there any other global um, equities funds uh, that you uh, like? Yeah, we uh, we like um, BlackRock uh, UK Special Situations. Um, again, that's uh, the slight concern there is is a pretty high expense ratio, but again, it's uh, it's full of very high quality names. Um, it's managed the volatility reasonably well, and um, and it has got a lot of nice, you know, high-value compounding businesses in there. So that that's a good uh, a good fund. And we also like uh, Linzel Train UK Equity as well for the same reason. They tend to build uh, their portfolio around um, businesses with what they call a moat, so a real defensive capability. Uh, people like Unilever, who you know, long-term track records of uh, dividend increases, uh, good return on equity. And, and sound businesses that would be very, very resilient, both in a recession and, uh, and any markets off. Okay, thank you, Peter. Some useful suggestions, and you can see some global fund uh, suggestions in our article on Alliance Trust in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website.
That's all we've got time for today, so it just remains to thank Kate Bailey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor of Investors Chronicle, and special guest Peter Doherty, Chief Investment Officer at Tideway Asset Management. You can read more on investing in smaller companies, hunting for income in emerging markets, and Alliance Trust in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle on the website. Thank you for listening and Happy New Year.